0: Welcome to Screen Talk IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor and Chief Critic, joined as always by our editor-at-large, Ann Thompson. And I'm back from weeks and weeks in Europe, and, and you're still holding down the fort in Los Angeles. And boy, we've got a lot of stuff to work through, because as we accelerate towards the fall season, it just seems like each week brings a, a big news story. And while we've known about birth of a nation ever since it kind of exploded at Sundance, won the grand jury prize. Nate Parker's story has been a big kind of dramatic tale that's been reiterated many times since then. Uh, It really took a dramatic turn just in the past week when uh, the stories of this rape scandal from his college days came up and it just kept getting worse for him. So not only have have people been dealing with uh, this this backstory, but then the news came out that the woman who accused him of rape in college uh, committed suicide a number of years back. And, and while he has uh, issued a very specific statement saying how bad he feels about this, in the context of a movie like this, which most people have not seen yet, but has so much buzz out of the festival circuit and it hasn't even finished its festival run, you really have to wonder, how do you dig yourself out of this hole, or, or is it even possible?
1: There are uh, any number of questions that have been raised by this uh controversy and um it's a it's an it's really a situation that i've never i've been watching Hollywood a long time and i i I dug into the scandal archives um, to see uh where the uh, precedents might be. And in the past, you know, a lot of people have gotten into trouble, you know, Robert Mitchum smoked dope or, uh, but he was sort of known as a bad boy. That was part of his image and his charm. Um, Robert Downey also, I mean, took, took drugs, you know, yeah, but he he different. ended up becoming, you know, uh, he cleaned up and everybody, you know, supported him and felt good about that. And, you know, he, he, he engendered a lot of warmth and people genuinely, liked him and, and do. And, and so somebody like, um, you know, uh, Elia Kazan, you know, ratted on his friends during the McCarthy era. And, and, you know, these are, but these are Oscar worthy, you know, top of the line people, someone like Nate Parker. I mean, then you can go into the sexual. Abuse scandals that involve Roman Polanski, who was nominated for two Oscars before and was won an Oscar, got nominated for two and won an Oscar after Um, Woody Allen despite whatever swirling accusations are out there, it's the same, you know, it's basically the same thing for 20 years being brought up over and over and over again. So he's, he's really, you know, weathering that and, and doesn't seem to be punished for it by the, by the community. They look at the work and they try to separate the artist from the work and in, in most cases, but this This is different because this man, Nate Parker, is unknown for the most part. The IndieWire universe maybe knows him, you know, from the independent community, from the Fox Searchlight movie he did before. They knew him before for The Secret Life of Bees or from the two. Uh, that was Gina Prince-Bythwaite. He went on to do Beyond the Lights with her. He did David Lowry's Ain't Them Body Saints. He's a really good actor. He pops. He's very. He I had had him pegged already. He was in a Spike Lee movie. Red Hook, the one in Brooklyn. I mean, he he actually is incredibly gifted and and was working the rounds, the Oscar circuit uh, after Sundance last year, and, and you know he's been they Fox Searchlight has been oh, spent seventeen point five million dollars. They they got the movie away from Netflix, which offered more, offered twenty, and he was obviously hoping they were obviously counting on some kind of real post Oscar so white, um, you know trajectory Wait. for this film from the beginning. It was positioned as a front runner, not just by me, but by many other Oscar watchers. So now they have to go back to uh, a square one, which is that they're opening the movie. They're taking it to Toronto. He's doing interviews. He's doing public appearances. He's supposedly doing a college promo tour where I guess the subject of Rape is going to be added to the agenda, which was supposed to be about re- revisiting the history of Nat Turner and the slave rebellion in 1831 and all of, of that history that he wanted to bring back into, into the current conversation. And, and so the movie that played so well at Sundance will hopefully play well again, and they will be able to get the movie open, uh, the long-term impact on him, it remains to be seen. A lot of people will not forgive him for what he did.
0: Well, one thing that I was thinking about, just in terms of of, of how people feel about this movie and how conversations develop about this movie, is that from the the critical standpoint, this is this was not a universally beloved movie. There there was a certain kind of enthusiasm around it that I think was partly because it's an emotionally involving story. It's reclaiming a certain kind of narrative, you know, the sort of brave heart the dynamic of of this powerful male figure sort of leading a revolution for the black community. And so there's a historical reckoning taking place and a certain cultural weight associated with this movie that's, I think, much stronger than the filmmaking, which is a little iffy in parts. I I wasn't blown away by this movie, and there are a lot of critics, I think, who are almost afraid to wrestle with this kind of material and say that they don't like it. I mean, I, I, it's it's a little too cheesy for some people in, in, some, in some parts, and I don't know how that's going to translate into its award season prospect, but couldn't, on some level, this be another kind of additional burden to a movie that wasn't necessarily a slam-dunk Best Picture winner? I mean, it's not... It, it, it was never a surefire bet right out of Sunday It's just because a lot of people liked it.
1: Well, as I mean, the different candidates for the... I mean, there, there's two ways of dealing with this. On the one hand, I think it's unfortunate to saddle such a movie from a first-time filmmaker who has not been established as a director or a writer. He co-wrote this. He is very much established as, as an emerging rising actor, but he... Um, This, this is putting Oscars on top of this. It's sort of like Selma in a way, you know, where, but in that case, Ava DuVernay had several movies under her belt, had already emerged out of Sundance with the middle of nowhere. I mean, she really was, um, you know, fine. And I think, I think, um, uh, you know, it was appropriate to put her, more appropriate, really, to put her into the into the Oscar conversation. You're always setting yourself up in a situation like this. But now the whole thing is, you know, you recognize a new cycle when you see it, you know, how something develops and moves on and um, takes on extra um, life. It keeps morphing you know so you were right At first there was a deadline story uh, about the the rape scandal which by the way was on his wikipedia page it was out there it was something the fox search right. people knew about it was it was there but they didn't know about the woman uh That's committing an s- suicide and so I mean, well the what i get back is is basically that she was an anonymous um, rape accuser that that there there's a there's a you know people don't identify uh people who who have been you know accusing people of, you know who've been raped they don't they don't do it and and so i i think perhaps um, um they thought that that w- it would stay that way what they didn't yeah, they, do they, they, is check into they didn't do the shoe leather reporting that right. that uh variety did and variety went and found the brother and found out what happened. And that's the, the story that really has done damage because it portrays a troubled woman who never recovered from this incident.
0: Well, and, also, I mean, we live in a hypersensitive society at this point in time, and, and the word rape is so charged that anybody associated with it, I mean, you have to do your due diligence with any, anything that's being subjected to public scrutiny. And I think it seems like there was one extra step that needed to be taken here because what I, what, what I think seems to have happened is that there are two cultural phenomena going on here. One is the, the kind of charged nature of, of this movie's existence, and the other is the charged nature of uh, today's sexual politics and the way that we're, we're sensitive about certain things in, I think, very progressive and appropriate ways. But now they're they're overlapping in a way that that can, is problematic for both ends. I mean, Roxane Gay, who's this great columnist in the Times, uh, African American woman, horrific writer who often wrestles with issues of race. This week in her column said that Birth of a Nation is being built as an important movie. I haven't seen it yet, and now I won't. And I feel like that that the seeing that overlap is really what's, what suggests that a real storm. I
1: find that disturbing though, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to, um, I'm, I actually think there's something to be said for, for keeping an open mind. I mean, a lot of, I remember when Mel Gibson was, was, was going, you know, was being very, you know, there's an example of someone who hasn't been forgiven. Um, um, and he really, he really, you know, crossed too many lines for too many people, even if he was drunk, even if he, you know, his hate demons emerge when, when he's out of control, those hate demons being uttered by a man like Mel Gibson were unforgivable, you know? And so a lot of people wouldn't go see his, his Jesus Christ, the passion of the Christ movie. And, and I understand that. Um, especially since the, a lot of people felt that the movie had anti-Semitic elements in it, which, which. Was very much a question of of the eye of the beholder, I, I think, in that case. Uh, but but where you are with not seeing Birth of a Nation, I don't know. I mean, I think the movie is the movie. The movie should be judged on its own merits.
0: Yeah, I mean, this, it really it it, it 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 is a troublesome dimension to our culture, but it's also just the reality of of, of the world that we live in right now, which is that we're we're just going through. So many different change processes that everything seems like it's a sensitive uh, you know, point that could, could create some sort of huge backlash. I mean, look at this year's election, for example. But looking at, back at the, the more specific context of award season, right now our Oscar pages have the top frontrunners for Best Picture as Birth of a Nation, Loving, Manchester by the Sea. I'm going to have to go. I'm going
1: to have to go. All right. Here's where I was going before. So what I was going to say before is that if you look at the overall uh, picture of of what's emerging as other Oscar contenders in the Oscar race, I have always wondered how Birth of a Nation really was going to play with the Academy. And because it is a big, it is a very tough, very, um, it isn't like Twelve Years a Slave, in the sense that Twelve Years a Slave is a is an definitely an art film. It it is it is extraordinary an extraordinary formal aesthetic achievement on every level. It's so this a great is movie. this is it is, and this is much more of a populist um, uh, emotional, you know. Uh, Action drama, you know, it it, 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 it it shows you the horrors of slavery. It shows you why they rose up against their masters, and it gets you caught up in that whole, uh, you know, drama. It, it's it's not it's not the, it's not a reserved and controlled. It's not the same thing at all. And so so this may not. I, I would say that that it's easier probably for people to embrace and like a movie like Loving. Which is uh, a loving marriage. Uh, it shows injustice in a different way. I'm not saying they're very different movies, but there's also Marshall that might come into the into the fray. There's a, there's a there's a whole slew of movies that that are, are actually in, in 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 you know there's Fences. There's there's so many movies that <laughs> the Oscar uh, drama is going to be so diverse this year compared to to last. The Birth of a Nation doesn't just cope. Coast in on its on, on its merits uh, on that level anymore. Right.
0: When well, we haven't seen Barry Jenkins' Moonlight, which that's is another that one. Seems to be another black cast, black director that seems to be gathering a lot of momentum. So I think that element is kind of fascinating because it seems almost like even without this specific scandal, this wouldn't necessarily be the the movie that defines the kind of desire for more diverse storytelling in award season this year you know having said that manchester by the sea has none of those things so in the in the context of that narrative it doesn't it doesn't have as much going for it but maybe in other ways uh once it plays uh, at more festivals it it'll, it'll gain some additional momentum just because people like it which is, is some uh, a completely separate factor as well uh, but before we get further into uh what what the fall season is looking like let's take a few steps back because the last time we spoke we had a couple of new releases that uh, I had seen, and I, I really wanted to dig into with you, but, but you didn 't have a chance to get to them yet, so now you have so Yes, let, I caught up in with the movies
1: instincts. I was supposed to see, yes. and you did not catch up <laughs> with the one you which and i 'll tell you why I was eager. To see, to, to, uh, I had missed various screenings of both Hell or High Water. Actually, that was more a case of I missed the the links expired that they sent me as well. But I ended up going to see it in the theater, and that was better. I I highly recommend seeing Hell or High Water in the theater, and as, and Pete's Dragon too should be seen in the theater. And uh, I was eager I, to see them. You were not I, eager to see Florence Foster Jenkins. I, I, well,
0: I looked around, unfortunately, in the in the small islands in Greece that preoccupied my days over the past week. They were still stuck in last year's mode. The Good Dinosaur was playing in Mykonos, so I didn't feel like reliving that path. But uh, maybe at some point before the end of the year, I'll I'll try to squeeze it in. But Hell or High Water, let's start with that one because uh, it's still playing around, and uh, I think it's a a really neat movie. It's It's a fun genre picture of sorts with some really strong... Uh, performances from David McKenzie in a totally different mode than he was in with his last film, Start Up, wouldn't you say?
1: Uh, this, is a, this is a very uh, entertaining, accessible, good-looking, well-written, well-acted uh, film. And what I loved about it more than anything was the structure of it, because you think you're, you're, you're really not sure... It, it isn't a genre film of any kind. It, it it has elements of heist movies because it's, you know, robberies. It has elements of Western stuff like... Um uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, in the sense that you've got these two guys running in and out of banks, um, and then you've got the the ranger, the Texas Ranger, the older guy, the cliche of the about to be retired detective played by 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 Jeff Bridges. But um, I loved the banter between him and his half mexican half indian if you like um uh sidekick the, the joke is that he's always making fun of him as as a, as an indian and then yeah, he's um, kind
0: of racist but the indian guy's kind of used to it and they, they love each
1: other you can tell they they absolutely adore each other and and then uh and and then you have uh the two brothers played by chris pine um and and, and ben, Foster. ben Foster, and they they're very good. Uh, but you don't know you don't. It isn't like any those two guys, especially, are not um, easily pegged as one particular trope that you would be familiar with. you're exploring it as you go along, and as the movie un, you know unravels, uh, you begin to see what really there's there's a whole other twist to to the to the story that is very satisfying and 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 the it's interesting because the ads that sell the movie are telling you that it's a sort of anti-bank, uh, anti bank, uh, anti you know the way that it's sort of that even positions them as sort of Robin Hood figures uh, so so it, the movie is is quite uh, quite well done I think
0: well and you have to give credit to the screenwriter Taylor Sheridan who's uh, I mean. What, what he's doing is, uh, is playing with certain kinds of tropes but also playing against expectations. So I would say that it does satisfy expectations of a genre film in the sense that if you're going, to, if you want to see, uh, you know, this sort of Western landscape with some great car crashes and shootouts, it's all there, but it, but it also provides, it uses those things in, in a very interesting way to play against your sympathies and expectations. So it's sort of above average for this kind of material doesn't always i think completely come together but it's it's very strong and i also wonder if it's the kind of thing where you know th- these are well known actors at the top of their game and i would love to see more movies that are like this, that are sort of playing with our awareness of, of certain kinds of genres. I agree also, with that because, you
1: know, you know, especially we've seen Ben Foster do a lot of really good work uh, before, but in indie films, but Chris Pine, I saw him on the stage. He's actually an extraordinarily good stage actor. Yeah. And, and he was good in he,
0: last year in Z for he was I was, was going to
1: bring it? that up. And then the other, and he did an interview that you talked to him about. You talked to him about this because it's important for these actors to get away from just doing star track. This guy's a more, and he has more going on, you know, than he didn't do well when he tried to do Tom Clancy. This guy's a better actor than he is a movie star. And I think we should uh, encourage him, uh, to keep looking for, for parts that expand his range. Um, and then the other, the other movie that, 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 I uh, Pete's Dragon is interesting too, because it's an independent filmmaker who, uh, worked inside the, in, you know, the Disney combine. And there's absolutely no way this isn't I mean, you have to expect it to be a, a disney family movie and and bryce Dyce howard is is you know has has limitations <laughs> as an actress but um but oh. the movie is so sweet. it is and, and the and to compare this to the BFG, David Lowry does a whole lot better. Making uh, that yeah. dragon believable and oh. it inhabit the space and inhabit the geography, even if it's on a big scale, there are no there are no moments in this movie where you're going, is that dragon really there? How yeah. did they get that dragon on the truck? How did they get the little bo uh, the a little boy to sit inside, and the little boy is magical, just fabulous. Uh, how did they get him to sit inside the you know the hand of, of the dragon and the, and the character of the dragon is totally believable so the an, that 's animation that 's animation, and it was beautifully, beautifully modulated, controlled by the director
0: there's a tactility to the to the way that the special effects look in this movie, and I wrote a bit, little bit about this as well, and Lowry is a filmmaker somebody who maybe a lot of people haven't known about super well, even if they saw Ain't Them Body Saints, but he's been making shorts for years. They're all online, and I recommend people track them down because he's, there's always been a strain of sort of fantasy storytelling, his work, and this, there are even handmade effects and stop motion and all these kinds of things. And what you see here is that you you need somebody with a trained eye who is sympathetic to the needs of an audience to believe the world they're being given in order to be engrossed by it. And so something really pays off here in the kind of symbiosis of, uh, of a smart filmmaker with a particular vision and a studio with specific needs. Now, I don't know if this is the big commercial hit of the summer. It doesn't seem to be designed for that, but it does send a good message, right? Because this is a guy who's going to do Peter Pan next. You have other younger filmmakers who are going into the system now exploring these kinds of possibilities. And as much of a naysayer as I usually am about this process, and I'd like to see people tackling original stories. Oh,
1: we're not worried about David Lowery. He's going to go off and do some really cool it's things. Somebody
0: to explore that. Yeah, yeah. he has. Yeah. He's
1: what's great about him is that he's an he's a, an, a, an artist with a voice who we already know. And so we what we can recognize in this movie is that that voice didn't get lost. It's still there, and and it's his movie. That's the sign of a real filmmaker who has authority. and and has already developed his his identity. So even if he was able to adapt himself to the demands of a Disney family movie, he still maintained his integrity as a filmmaker.
0: Well, shoot, Anne, we're agreeing about too much this week. We have to find some point of division here. On
1: that note, (laughs) I'm going to take off because I've got to go do an interview, and we will leave our discussions of uh, Toronto and New York uh, to another time.
0: It's all around the corner. Much more to come. Talk to you soon.
1: Bye.